Hey, my name is Jackson Cooper. I'm a part of the worship team here at King's Cross Church. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Um, you may have noticed this morning when you came in that um, Jacob, who is our worship leader, was back on the back row. He's multi-talented. Um, sometimes he plays drums and sometimes he plays keys. And so other people um, had an opportunity to lead. It was primarily because he didn't have time to prepare this week um, because he was preparing to ask Teresa to marry him. <laughs> I can't even see where they are. Where are you? Oh, they're in the back. Right there, dead center, right where they should be. Hold your hand up. Don't blind us now. Don't blind us. So, <laughs> uh, that's great. Congratulations. Um, we're excited. Premarital counseling starts immediately following the service. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, hey, in case you missed last week, uh, let me just give you a quick um, kind of overview catch up of where we are. Our plan, Lord willing, is to just have one sermon series the whole year all the way through 2023 where we will um, read and pray and study our way all the way through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. We're not going to cover every verse in every book, but we will get the big picture. Okay, so if you ask me, for example, um, about my week this past week, I would tell you that uh, I took Monday off. We had staff meeting on Tuesday. I was in the office Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, Friday, I moved my oldest daughter back up to Anderson. And then um, yesterday, I watched about three quarters of um, Kentucky getting its tail cut by Alabama. And then I turned that mess off because that was enough of that for me. Um, and then now I'm here, right? Now, that, that didn't tell you every single thing I did all week, but it kind of gives you the overall view of loosely what my week looked like, and that's kind of what this series will be like. So we, we will probably skip over um, maybe even some of your favorite passages in the Bible, but the series is designed to give you an overview of um, the meta-narrative. And so um, if you are listening along to the podcast, if you're following along with the devotional reading plan, You'll get a sense of that by this time next year, I think, um, if you will commit yourself to that, that your walk with God will be deeper, that your understanding of the Bible will be greater, and I feel like um, you're going to feel more connected to the faith family um, that is King's Cross because we'll be doing it together. Right? Uh, and we know that the Lord is going to use this. We know um, that we can already see the evidence of, of God working in our church. Um, you guys can't see this, but I can see through the glass doors that we have overflow out in the lobby. Shout out to um, the lobby. We love you. You're part of the family. Um, we kn we've known for some time that at some point, um, probably in the first part of this year, we'll have to go to two services. And so um, the more often I can see that out there, the more likely likely that is to spring up. And so you are going to grow. We are going to grow. We are excited about this year. Amen. There are some resources for this series on the website. If you go to kingscross.org, we have a designated page. 
Just click at the top, the story. You're going to find there the devotional reading plan that Josh is writing for each chapter. So right now we're in chapter one, week two. There's 10 chapters in the whole series. So put those reading plans out by chapter. You will find there some supplemental things. Every now and then we might post a link to a video or uh, later today we're going to post a link to a video and a different link to an article to supplement this week's sermon. You'll find links there to um, each week's sermon video, the podcast audio, and the sermon notes. So I was talking to somebody this morning. They said, hey, we were out last week. No problem. You can go on the website. The sermon notes with the answers are filled in there. And so you can print those off at home and keep your binder. Um, If you picked one of these up, they're in the lobby. Um, We'll have them free uh, at least for a couple more weeks. But grab one at some point. If we had to keep reordering them at some point, we'll have to charge for them. But for now, they're free resources. So grab uh, a binder with you. And um, most of you are in a community group. The community group questions each week will be on that page. So everything you need is right there centrally um, at kingscross.org. Just click on um, the story. So I rarely say this to you, but if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon because I think it sets the table for what it is that we are hoping that the Lord will do um, through the series this year. And so I would encourage you to um, take 35 or 40 minutes, um, however long it was, and and listen to that maybe this week. You'll be fully caught up uh, to where we are. This morning, we're diving into the story itself. And so we're beginning at the beginning. Um, Last week, we were kicking the series off, and Kristen said to me when she got my sermon notes, why are you starting in Luke? (laughs) I thought you would start in Genesis. Well, we're starting Genesis today, Uh, and so we're starting at the beginning. Genesis 1 is both the beginning of the Bible and the beginning of everything else. It's the beginning, literally, of everything. And so what I want to do with our time this morning is focus on four truths that we learn about God and about our world right from the very beginning of the story. The first of those is this, that God created everything that is. God created everything that is. Grammar nerds don't yell at me. I Googled this week if I was allowed to end a sentence with is, and they said yes. So I feel comfortable with that. (laughs) Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot in that verse. There is enough in that verse to preach an entire sermon on. But the main idea that's there is that God created everything that is. There was a time when the only reality was God himself. Father, Son, and Spirit. There was no heavens, there was no earth, no matter, no light, no angels, no demons, no quantum, no atoms, no gravity, no nothing. And then God created everything that is. Theologians call this concept creation ex nihilio, creation out of nothing. Everyone, everywhere, believes in something or someone that always was. Everyone, everywhere, believes in something or someone that always was. If um, you're someone who subscribes to an atheistic interpretation of the Big Bang, um, that theory in physics believes in a preexistent, infinitely dense, infinitely hot matter. That was just always there. 
The ancient Romans believed in a pre-existent, always there chaos out of which emerged the earth. Buddhism doesn't believe in either a creator or an act of creation. They believe that everything always was. Hindus don't believe in any one moment or one act of creation. Rather, they believe in many moments and many acts of creation across many different planes of existence, all of which is centered around a lotus flower that sprung from the navel of Vishnu as he lay on a sea of milk on the back of a serpent. And no matter where you are on a spectrum of faith, you already believe in someone or something that always was. The only question is, who or what do you believe always was? The story told in the Bible is that only God himself is without beginning. Everything else was created by him. Everything that is was created by him. This is going to have massive implications for the rest of the story. Let me give you just two implications, just as examples. There are virtually an infinite number. Let me give you just two as examples. If God created everything that is, then it is God alone who gets to determine things like right, the right and wrong way to use or to enjoy his creation. It's God alone who gets to determine the meaning, purpose, and value of each individual part of creation. He gets to determine the limits um, of man's ability to know about creation because he's the one that reveals individual component parts of it. He even gets to determine when or if the creation will cease to be because if he created it, he can decreate it. This is going to be the answer to so many questions asked in the scriptures. Well, why does God do this or that? Why does God allow this or that? Why does God not do this or that? And again and again, the answer we're going to see is because he created everything that is. Psalm 135, 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Also, if God created everything that is, then mankind isn't the center of the universe. The ultimate value in the universe is not us. But what, what matters most in all of creation is not our happiness, our comfort, our goals, our life. God, as the creator of everything that is, establishes the priorities of the universe and our place in it. And again, there are a myriad of other implications. Those are just two. The second truth we learned about God in the world from Genesis 1 is that he created everything with order and purpose. So he created everything that is. He created it with order and purpose. Let's keep going, Genesis 1, 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, 
And God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. This rhythm, and God said, followed by, and there was evening and there was morning, is an orderly pattern of God's creative acts. He creates spaces on days one, two, and three. Then he fills those spaces on days three, four, and five. This is an orderly pattern. Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. If you're following along with the devotional reading plan, you read a meditation about that in Psalm 8 this week. Let dry land appear, and it was so, verse 10. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Now you're beginning to see purpose and design. Everything is created according to its kind. That ensures propagation. Things are paired up. This goes with that. And they can propagate. God, the creator, creates creatures who can create other creatures according to their own kind. Everything is created for a specific purpose, to do a specific thing. Hear me, the creation is not an accident. It is designed with meaning. And there's a purpose for everything from the sun and the stars to the flora and the fauna. Order and purpose. Verse 16. God made two great lights. The greater light to purpose rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Here's why this should matter to you. If God created everything with order and purpose, then that means that there's a a basis for, there's a, a criteria for things like, for example, environmental care and stewardship. Some of you care a great deal about the environment. If there was a purpose for trees and animals and the earth itself before mankind existed, that means we have some responsibility to steward well what God has created. You with me? If it's random mutations with no purpose and no order, then there is no fundamental argument to preserve the wetlands or to rehabilitate the bald eagle population. Why? Randomness is taking them out. But if there's order and purpose, then care and stewardship of these things, now you can make an argument for that. If creation was made with order and purpose, that means there's an argument to be made for studying science. If there's no order and there's no purpose, then by definition, anyone who's working in any scientific field is wasting their life trying to understand chaos. But if there is order and purpose, then isn't it important for Christians, I would argue especially young Christians, to take seriously the academic pursuit of and and to take serious vocational fields that involve scientific measures that too often in past generations, Christians have left those fields because they were intimidated by the arguments made in them. And we've abandoned, especially largely in the academy, certain fields when we of all people know that all truth is God's truth. And so if there is order and purpose now, as Christians, we can engage in those fields with intensity and pursuit because we understand the one who made these laws that we are uncovering and studying. Or for example, if God created everything with order and purpose, then there's an argument to be made for otherwise abstract concepts like right and wrong or justice or love or beauty. If random mutations over billions of years led to evolutionary biological responses that conditioned our brains to believe this or that because it helped us to survive, then there's no such thing as right and wrong. That doesn't exist. There is only this action helps me survive. And if it means you don't, too bad. That's part of it. So you can't make an argument for right and wrong. There's no such thing as beauty. That there's only, I enjoy this sunset, and enjoying this sunset helps my species propagate. Because if I gather near the shore, and I enjoy the sunset, and and then there are women who gather near the shore, and they enjoy the sunset, and we bump into each other and propagate the species. And so this is what causes, no, no. You can't make an argument for beauty apart from a creator who designed things with order and purpose. That story says you're no different than a fern or a fox. God's story says something very, very different. God's story says there is a creator behind the creation. And that creator was an intelligent designer whose acts intentionally and orderly unfolded. And his creation has a purpose. And that's a very, very different story about the world and our place in it. Is it not? 
Thank you. <laughs> this is the interactive, like, we'll see. Maybe this year will be the year. We just, I don't know. We'll see. Okay, third truth. <laughs> if you're brand new, our people don't like to respond, right? And so they think it in their head. At least once a week, somebody will tell me, man, that sermon was so good. I was in the back and I almost said, amen. I was like, why didn't you say it? And I don't know. Okay, third truth. God, God created man in his image. God created man in his image. He creates everything that exists. He creates it with order and purpose. And then he creates man in his image. We'll pick the story back up at verse 26. Notice how when God creates mankind, he makes this clear distinction between mankind and the plants and the animals. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. We won't sidebar here on the use of the word our other than because I know it'll distract some of you. I'll just to say that the Spirit of God has already been mentioned in verse 2. And later when we get to the New Testament, what we're going to learn is that the agent of God's creation, his word, he speaks things into existence. The agent of that creation is no one less than the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as New Testament Christians, we can look back on Genesis 1.26 with a fuller understanding of what our image means. Probably with an even more full understanding than what Moses understood when he was writing it. For now, the primary point is that this breaks the pattern of creation thus far established in the story. This is new. This is different. Only humans are image bearers of God. So well-meaning people, and I understand their intentions are well-meaning, will sometimes say things like, um, you know, you shouldn't eat meat because we're no different from the animals. Well, that's just not true. That's not true. My children are of greater value and dignity and worth than my dog. My dog does not bear the image of God. My girls do. Chickens do not bear the image of God, nor do their delicious wings. <laughs> they just don't. Now, this is not, don't hear what I'm not saying, this is not a blank check for like unregulated industrial farming and overfishing and animal, animal cruelty. And No, 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 no. Of course, I already talked about care and stewardship of the environment. So it's not a blank check for that, but they're there's a difference between my skin and the leather belt I have on. Those are not the same thing. Because cows don't bear the image of God, I do. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he continues, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So these image bearers are also given a delegated authority to rule over the other parts of God's creation. Let them have dominion. That's delegated authority. And that delegated authority implies responsibility. You read about this this week in your reading plan in Psalm 8. This is what we see. If, if I ask you to house sit for me, and I give you the keys, and I say, hey, you know, you're going to live there for a couple of weeks while I'm off doing whatever. You know, just make the place your own. It's kind of understood that you're not going to, like, 
you know, redecorate the place, treat my neighbors bad, and, and trash my house. Because the authority I've given you, there's an implied stewardship responsibility, yes? So we have image bearers of God with a delegated authority and an implied stewardship responsibility. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. These image bearers come in two types, male and female. Both are made in God's image. Both are to exercise dominion. For the entirety of human history, this is one of the very few truths in the Bible that wasn't controversial. Now it is. And that's not the series we're in. So I'll leave it for now except to say the main takeaway from Genesis 1.27 is not intended to be about chromosomal pairings or human sexual expression. The takeaway is that human beings, both male and female, are made in God's image. That's what's being established. Verse 28, he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So now he gives an expansion of what this dominion looks like. Well, what does it look like for us to exercise this delegated authority? It looks like population growth. Multiply and fill the earth. It looks like geographic dispersion. It looks like the cultivation of the raw materials that God created. This is often called the creation mandate. God's intention is that we would domesticate animals and farm the land and build cities and create art. And his command is for us to take the raw materials of his good creation and make them into something even more expressive of his glory and to enjoy them to even greater degrees because of the way that we're cultivating it. Now, have we always done that well? No. We have not. Sometimes we have, sometimes we haven't. That sermon is two weeks away. We'll get there. This is God's design in the beginning. Verse 29. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. Side note, we don't eat animals until after the flood. That sermon's three weeks away. So if you want uh, God's permission to enjoy ribeye and brisket, come back. And we will get to that in three weeks. They are good gifts from God after Noah gets off the ark. Okay, next week, when the camera... Some of you think that's a joke. I'm not kidding. That's when we start to eat the animals, right? Slowly, shortly after that, they discovered slow smoking, I think. But they left that out. So next week, the camera's going to zoom in on the man and the woman. And we'll see more details of that part of the story. That's chapter 2. But in chapter 1 in Genesis, we're getting the overview. right? We're getting the structure of the plot, if you will. As we work through the year, we're going to see the impact of these verses just ripple through God's story. But there are very practical implications for this in your life today. Let me just give you a few. 
If God created man in his image, then racism, for example, is an attack on God himself. For you to look at another person's skin color or ethnicity or nationality or whatever and to say or to think or to act in a way that is dehumanizing or demeaning or marginalizing to them in any way, you are attacking God's image in that person. You are looking at them and saying, I don't like that part of God. That's why it's such a sin in the scriptures. If God created man in his image, then Every human is worth saving. Every human life is worthy of dignity and respect, not because of who that person is or how that person lives, but because of the one whose image they bear. That means people who look and act and think and vote differently than you are worth Saving people of other cultures and even religions and socioeconomic settings are worthy of being saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. People who get on your nerves, won't get off your back, or need to get off their phone, like whatever irritating point, they are worthy of dignity and respect because of the one whose image they bear. This has implications about evangelism and missions. This says something about what the default Christian position ought to be on opposition and how we engage with that, what our attitude towards it is. It begins to explain the profound implications of Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the second most important commandment. Only loving God is more important. That has radical implications when your neighbor is made in God's image. This exponentially magnifies the glory of God in Christ's death on the cross for, as 1 John tells us, the sins of the whole world. You cannot overstate the importance of these fundamental, foundational, profound truths about God, who he is in the world that he created, that he created everything that is, He created it with order and purpose. And he created man in his image. One more. God created, and it was very good. Finish out the chapter, verse 31. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The crowning act of God's creation is his creation of his image bearers. Everything that he created before them, he said, was good. And it was good and it was good and it was good. He creates his image bearers and he says, now this is very good. In fact, it was perfect. This is the world that we find in Genesis 1. Spoken into existence by God, rhythmically and intentionally, with order and with purpose. No sin, no death, no disharmony of any kind. Perfect relational balance between the heavens and the earth, between God and mankind, and between mankind and God's very good creation. A place of peace designed to be 
cultivated and enjoyed, to be filled with God's image bearers, acting as vice regents in a world that reflects his glory created out of his love. God created everything that is, and he created it very good. And we'll pause the story there for this week. And I know that some of you say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you didn't say anything about the age of the earth. Was it literal 24-hour days? Were the days representative of eras? Is it possible, question in the back, is it possible that God used evolutionary processes to create that? What about the dinosaurs? You didn't say anything about that. What about carbon dating? You didn't say anything about George Lemaitre or Stephen Hawking or quantum theory or like, you're right. I didn't. Now, we're going to have two supplements online for you this week. One is a video um, of a sermon about how the size of the universe, or a talk maybe about the size of the universe. And the other one is a paper um, by a Jewish um, physicist who has an MIT, uh, PhD from MIT, um, writing about the age of the earth. So that's there. But here's the thing. Genesis 1 is not a science textbook. It is the beginning of God's self-revelation. It is about who he is. Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, born-again Christians have, do, and will disagree about some of the interpretive conclusions reached by a study of the text of Genesis 1. If I could take a few hours and kind of run through all of those questions, I would do that. And the answers to some of those questions, I got a pretty good grip on. And there's some other ones that I'm a little more open-handed about because I'm not really sure. But I'm not going to do that. Because Genesis 1, hear me, is not about you. It's not about us. Genesis 1 is not about you and me. It isn't about geology or archaeology or paleontology. It isn't even an apologetic on the existence of God. Genesis 1 does not try to explain why there is a God. It doesn't name God. Genesis 1 doesn't tell us anything at all about his appearance or his character or his nature. It just says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created everything that is with order and purpose. And he created man in his image, and it was very good. Now, a lot of those other details are going to be revealed as we work our way through the story. But for now, that's the big picture of what Genesis 1 is after. Let's pray. Father, you are the creator, by the power of your word, we believe that you spoke everything that is into existence. And by the power of that same word, you hold it all together, even now. Your ways are higher than ours. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. When you told the mountains where to stand, we were not. When you determined the depths of the sea, we were not. When you called the stars by name, we were not. And yet, in your grace, you have allowed us as your image bearers to learn more about this universe that you created.
by your grace. Though we deserve it not, you have allowed us to know something of who you are. We are excited to learn more about who you are this year together. We pray that this week as we continue to read and to meditate on this story that you would show us more of your love for your image bearers. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to bear that image well. We won't do it perfectly, we know. We're all too aware. But would you conform us more into the image of Christ this week? It's in his name we pray. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.